You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. This morning, um, we've been talking about how God has given to us gifts. And it's it's amazing that we worship a gift-giving God. And he's so gracious because you, you each have personal gifts. There are some things that you do personally. There, there are some strengths and abilities that you have that you operate at almost a genius level and you don't even break a sweat because they come to you so naturally. You've been given personal gifts. You've been given spiritual gifts. Um, you've been given interests and abilities that, that you, you didn't even ask for. But all of those things are actually packaged in you, in your Eunice. They're packaged in you. And so today, I want to talk about the gift that is you. All right? The gift that is you. In his book, Falling Upward, Richard Rohr talks about two dances that we do in our lives. The, the first dance is the survival dance, and, the, and you have to do the survival dance before you can do the sacred dance, which is the second dance. And the survival dance is the dance that you do in the first 35 years of your life, and for some of us it takes 40 and maybe even 50 years. It's, it's the dance we do in the, fir- in, in the first part of our life, and it's trying to figure out who you are. What makes you significant? What is it that, 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 that people respect about you? And so you, you, you have to ask these questions. And you, you've got to get these questions answered. And our kids have questions. And we need to allow them to ask the questions. Am I pretty? Am I, am, am I smart? Do I have worth and value? Are these, um, do I dress cool? All of these things are going on inside of them. And, 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 and so you process these things, but the challenge is that if you're still asking the question and you're 65 years old, you've stalled in your survival dance. The survival dance is about getting hold of your identity. It's getting hold of your identity. And an identity is a fascinating thing. It's really, really an interesting thing. It's almost, to some degree, self-concocted. It is your interpretation of what your parents said you are. It's your interpretation of what your friends said about you, about what your peers said about you, about what your culture said about you. It's your interpretation because two people can say the exact same thing to you and you'll hear different intonation. You'll hear different, you'll filter them differently. And so your, your, uh, your identity in so many ways is a filtered identity. And then add your likes and your dislikes and your temperament and some life experience to that, and then you have what you call an identity. And if you're a growing, maturing human being, your identity changes. You are not the same person that you were 15 years ago, or even 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. That's why I cringe when I see a 19-year-old tattooed their theory of life to the side of their neck. 
and go, bold, man. I'm going to tell the world how it is. Because in five years, it's not how it is for that 19-year-old, yet they got this thing permanently stuck to their face. To me, people are absolutely, absolutely fascinating. I just, I love this watching people, understanding the way we are wired, because we will use just about any small system that we can to tell ourselves we're important, to tell ourselves that we're significant. Grade one. In grade one, so my parents immigrated from Germany. If you've listened to me, you know this. And, um, and so we didn't, I didn't speak English when I went to grade one. And if I did, it was very broken. And I was a really tubby little kid. And so I'm a fat little German, okay? And I'm in grade one. And, and when you're a fat little German in grade one and you don't really speak English, you're different. And to a grade one, different is bad, okay? And so I really kept to myself, if you can imagine, that's really not the way I roll now, but I really kind of kept to myself and, and um, uh, really quite invisible. And then it happened. You see, we had a, a, a class mascot. The, the teacher brought a rabbit into the classroom. And then on Fridays, she would get us, she put our names in a hat. And then she would draw a name out of the hat and whoever's name came out of the hat got to take the rabbit home for the weekend and feed it. It's a smart teacher if you ask me because she didn't want to take the rabbit home to feed it so she made us do it. And I'll never forget the day she took my name and I got to take the rabbit home and everybody was jealous. I got to take the rabbit home. I was the rabbit boy. And then the next week, you're not going to believe this, but it's true. The next week, she put all her names in a hat and she shook the hat and then she took the name out and guess who it was? It was me again. And I'm telling you what, I don't remember anything from grade one except for the fact that I was the rabid boy two weekends in a row. Two we- How is it that I remember that event with nothing else? It's because... Twice I was significant in a world in which I was virtually invisible. So when I was in grade 10, um, again, almost invisible. And basically I was a non-contributing zero in my high school. I, I, I had no investment in my community. I had, you know what, I spent a lot of time in my little Baptist church of 200 people. But in most of the world, I just didn't matter. But then my Uncle Ron asked me a question. My Uncle Ron is like the coolest guy in my life. He was 25 at the time. My Uncle Ron um, had a three octave voice. He, He had the most amazing voice. And he comes to my brother, to me and my cousin Norm, and he says, why don't we put together a band? Why don't we put together a band? And we got a drummer and we got a bass guitar player and we got a a lead guitar and we put together a band. Now we didn't call them bands back then, we called them quartets, but you you know what, a quartet and a band, they're they're kind of the same thing, just one is cooler than the other. 
And so we, we and now you got to know something in, in, in this very conservative little church. This is a new idea. Like this is the first time drums ever entered into the house of God ever. <laughs> but because it was my uncle Ron's idea, everybody bought it because he was like the church hero. Right. And, 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 and we were a big deal. We were big fish in a very little pond. And I went from being invisible to being important. We did gigs, man. Gig. We did a funeral in Leduc, Alberta. That's right. It was unbelievable. They loved us. They, they just loved, we killed them at this funeral in Leduc. But you've seen this, and I've seen this. That there are people who were outstanding in high school as an athlete and, and, and have become incredibly neutral as adults, lukewarm. And yet the one thing they will not miss is men's or women's basketball at the Y. They won't miss playing hockey with the guys because they're still reaching for that which is significant, and my point is simply this, is that we will, we will look for these small containers to define ourselves as important. And God knows we're like this. And so he forces us out of these small containers because he didn't create you to define yourself by them. The Bible says that we are created in the image of God. The truest orientation point for your identity is God himself. You were created in his likeness. You are like him. The truest orientation point for your worthiness is his love for you. 1 John 3 says, see what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. We are children. You're not just a number. You're not a thing. You're not a cog in the wheel. You are a much loved. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us the whole time his ministry was on this earth. You are the beloved. And so God orchestrates these experiences. And he forces us out of these small containers. And then he reveals himself to us as the father, as the redeemer, as the healer. And there's authentic experiences of God produce two things in your life. They strengthen your true self or they soothe your true self, but only after they've devastated your false self which tells you that at any given time in your life, two things are going on. You are being deconstructed in your false self so that you can become constructed in your true self. And so God is always dinging at your false self. And yet, you know, we find so much security in that which is familiar that we keep going back to these small containers. And when we have to let go of that, we grab onto the next one. Your promotion is now your identity and you hold on to it. And then we hold on to the next thing and God is continually pulling our fingers off those things so that we will finally look up and see ourselves defined by him. And so the second dance is the, this divine dance. And the divine dance is, happens when you come to realize who God made you. 
You, you, you come to own your own beauty, your own genius, and your own mistakes. You know, it's pretty intimidating hanging out here with like Chad and Ryan and Yoss and, and Oliver. Like they can do, like, like Ryan and Oliver, they, they play just about every instrument on the stage. They lead worship. They know techie stuff. Like, like Oliver, he does all of that. I gave him a shout out this morning, but he was having a cigarette in the parking lot, and so he didn't even hear it, but I think he's back there now. Like, and, and, and they know that they're good, but they don't know like they're gonna know. I'm just a two-trick pony, man. I can only do two things, and none of those things are in my trick bag. But learning what you're really beautiful at is part of the divine dance. Can you see your own beauty? Can you see your own genius? Can you celebrate it? Can you actually be just as okay with your own weakness? Because there's so many things I can't do. And coming into your divine dance is moving around freely in your purpose. But first you gotta know what it is. It's moving around freely in your skin, in your personality, in your fragrance. Divine dance is when you stop apologizing for what you can't do and just lean into what you can do and let others do what you cannot do. And then you dance. It's the most spacious way to live. And if you're not there, I'm telling you, you're going to love it when you get there. Because you get to dance in you, in your you-ness, like no one's watching. And you get to dance, a dance that no one's ever danced before. Because nobody ever had your personality, your gift mix. It is your dance. It's your purpose, your personality, and it's your essence. You look at Jesus and you look at, 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 at men and women that God used beautifully. And you see that what happened was is that they, 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 they lived with their wills open to cooperate with the creative power of God. And you can't do that until you know who you are. Your, your, your orientation point when you're in your divine dance becomes much larger than a rabbit, much larger than a quartet much larger, it keeps growing, it becomes him. I love what Desmond Tutu said. He said, we, we, we we're only light bulbs and our job is just to remain screwed in. I like that. And so the divine dance invites us into a much larger identity. You don't, you don't have to know everything. There's mystery that you can just embrace as mystery. That is the coolest thing. You don't have to explain everything because you know whose you are and you rest in the mystery of life. You rest in the mystery of God. And, 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 and what happens is that when you get into your divine dance, you learn to, to realize that, you're, that, that, that the pain in your life the struggle in your life is really in so many ways has, has forged and produced gold in your life. And that gold is your essence. It's your essence. 
It's your Davidness. It's your bobbiness and your Timness. It's your essence. It's what, it, it's what makes you you. It's, it's the core of who you are. It's your fragrance. It's your personhood. That's your gold. That's what's so precious even to the Father. So much of the work that God is doing in your life right now, I suggest to you, it is about refining and aligning your essence to mirror your heavenly father. That's what he's doing in you. And when that happens, we become windows to the mystery and the beauty that is God to everybody we walk with. You become windows to the mystery and the beauty that is God. And you don't need a Bible track to do that. I don't know, we don't, do we, are Bible tracks still a thing? Because when I grew up, they were, they were a thing. They were like, we were supposed to have one in our pocket all the time and instead of putting a tip down at this restaurant, we were supposed to put a Bible track, which made servers really happy. And, uh, and I'm telling you what, I, I didn't think they worked that well back then. I suppose they're a thing. But when you become a window through your essence, when, when God's presence and his spirit, when, when they see them through being expressed through who he made you, it's really, really, really beautiful. And it works. You can point that. You take that into the church, it works in the church. You take it into the world, it works in the world. You take it into corporate Kelowna, it works in corporate Kelowna. It works wherever you take it. So... One of my jobs, one of the responsibilities that I have is I have the privilege of taking on uh, PhD students and master's degree students who want to complete their certification as counselors and they need 400 hours of supervision and, and I do that for them. And so I get a chance to pick through quite a large pile of resumes to find the best students to work with me at the university. And I, you know, I'll, once I've picked my students, um, I'm pretty open about the fact that I wear a couple of hats. They know that, that alongside of being a counselor, I'm a preacher. They know that I'm a pastor. And um, I put it out there just because that's who I am. And, and they can tell me exactly who they are. And this year, this year I had two of the interns, two of the four interns I have, um, who said, don't talk to me about religion, okay? I'm not comfortable with that. And I said, great, we're good. And yet every day you bring who you are and they bring who they are and love always wins. It always wins. And it's amazing how I found out, I just found out a week ago that these two, because the conversations are just so awesome and they're moving toward, they're asking me questions that they shouldn't know how to ask. But that's when I found out they've been watching us online secretly whenever I preach. They, they tune in and they watch and they listen and God is pulling them and, and both of them, they're getting ready to graduate here and these two that were so hostile and resistant are asking beautiful questions, are on a journey. They're going back, because they, they come from the United States, they're going back to the States and they, and, and Jesus has got them right where he wants them. Well, how did that all happen? It happens year after year, been doing it for five years. It's because your essence is a window to the beauty and the mystery that is God. Take that into the world and go and be beautiful. 
Go and be beautiful. Stop being such a jerk. Start being kind. Start being good. Stop being so bossy and so demanding. It's a terrible window. And I love the phrase, your face tells the world you're open for business. Smile. Your restraint doesn't have to look that bad. Maybe that's why God said to Samuel, when Samuel's looking to pick a, a king, he said, he said, God doesn't see what the way humans see. Humans look at the visible things, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is he saying? God has focused his attention and the work in your life on your essence. But a lot of time we, we have trouble seeing our own beauty, don't we? We have trouble you know, thinking, you know, if I could just lose 20 pounds, then, then I'd be worthy. You know, if I, if I could just have a decent job, then I'd have worth. If she'd ever call me back, then I'd have worth. If he'd ever call me back, then I, you know what, then, then I'd be somebody. But the truth is that you are as worthy, more worthy than you could ever imagine. Scripture tells us that we are precious in the eyes of God. That we're God's children. That we're a friend of Jesus. It tells us that we're dearly loved by God. That you just read, there's a whole list I've got up there of things that the word, and that, that does, that's not anywhere near comprehensive. You know, you know it'd be a cool thing to do if you're if actually wanting to know, to discover your own beauty? Write a letter introducing yourself to somebody that's never met you. And be authentic, be vulnerable in the letter but dare to talk about your own beauty. Dare to talk about your own weakness. Dare to talk about it and get used to it. Get, get, get comfortable talking around it. It's actually very healthy for you. So the last piece, um, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up, is that uh, in your divine dance, it's so important that you understand Love and you understand the importance of belonging. I, I said this the last time I spoke. I quoted Mother Teresa who said I, the, 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 the root of the world's ills is that we forgot that we belong to each other. We forgot that we belong to each other. We forgot we belong to Muslims and Hindus and atheists and agnostics. We forgot that we belong to each other. Belonging is essential to the human experience. We, we all need a tribe. And I'm not talking about a church now. I'm talking about a group of friends. I'm talking about the people you play cards with. I'm talking about the people you, you, you hang out with. We all need a tribe. And there's a difference between fitting in and belonging. Fitting in is how you assess the situation and then you become whatever you need to become to actually experience acceptance. But belonging, you don't change anything. You just show up in your you-ness. And you're embraced. And if the tribe that you're in doesn't allow you to do that, go find another tribe. If you have to become something to fit in or to belong, then find another tribe. Brene Brown said after collecting thousands of stories, she said we are biologically, spiritually, physically, and cognitively wired 
to be loved and to belong. And when we, when this need is not met, we get sick. She said, we don't function the way we should. She said, we break, we fall apart, we ache. And when all those things happen, then we actually hurt others with ache and pain and whatever other one I said. Maybe that's why Jesus said, when he said, I'm leaving now, I'm out of here. Um, one thing, guys, just one thing. He said, love God with all your heart. Love each other. All right. Good night, everybody. You know, Elvis has left the building. He said, that's it. I want to leave you this. This, this, will, this. this will leave you better. Love God. Wholeheartedly love God and wholeheartedly love each other. And so the scripture invites us to let the only evaluation of our worth be derived from that, the love of God. I'm going to read you a verse. The Apostle Paul said, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how high, or rather how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Get rooted in that. Let your own beautiful essence, your own personality, be informed by that kind of love. And then go into the world and take the beauty that is yours and share it. And when you do that, you become windows to the the beauty and the mystery that is God. Amen. When we stand together. Father, thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You, you gave us these frames. You gave us these person, well, the personalities we kind of shaped and formed and had part in that. But Father, you created us so beautifully and so uniquely. Help us to find our own beauty. Help us to find our own genius. Help us to find, to pull you through who we are and share you with the world. For your glory, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.